So you're thinking about running, but not sure how to take the first step. My name is Brian Patterson, and I'm here to help. Welcome to Brian's Rompod. Well, welcome back to another episode of Brian's Rompod, where we dive into the extraordinary careers of some of the greatest athletes in Olympic history. And today we're shining the light on a Finnish long-distance runner, Lassie Viren. Plus, we are going to be looking at the history of the kettlebell and how using this piece of equipment can enhance our training. Also, we're going to be looking at floats, not the ice cream kind or the water kind. I'd also like to take this opportunity to say how lucky I have been to have some wonderful guests on the show. We had Lucy Tomlinson, a Pilates instructor, Tamsin Burnland, who gave us an insight into what it's like to be coach, Joanne Hart, who provided us with some advice about nutrition and her journey to becoming a nutritionist, and then we delved into the world of psychology and running with Katie Kennedy. Not forgetting our excellent discussion with Aaron Nicholson, who specialises in running biomechanics and sports medicine. All of them have been wonderful and have taught me their many facets to this sport. If you have not listened to them, then please do go back in our archive and have a listen. Well, Lassie Viren was born on the July 22nd, 1949 in Miriskilav, Finland, Apologies if I have completely butchered the the name of the town. He started his running career in the United States, Brigham Young University, before returning to Finland in 1971. He made his international debut at the European Championships in Helsinki, and his performance was overshadowed by fellow Finn, Juan Vartanen. However, Finn's talent was undeniable, and he soon broke Vartanen's finish record at 5,000 metres. Viren's breakthrough came in the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich as a dark horse in both the 5 and 10,000 metre events. He surprised everyone by winning gold medals in both. In the 10,000 metres, Viren even broke the world record despite falling on the 12th lap. His determination on a parallel kick propelled him to victory. Lassie Viren became only the fourth athlete in history to win the both 5,000 and 10,000 metre events in the same Olympics. His victories placed him in the same league as running legends like Hans Kuhlman, Paavo Nirmi and Valerie Tola from the 1920s. Viren's incredible performance solidified his position as one of Finland's greatest athletes. The summer in the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal saw Viren's glory continue. He once again won both the 5 and 10,000 metre events, becoming the first repeat winner in the 5,000 metres race in the Olympic history. His dominant display of four front-running and devastating kick in the last few laps left spectators in awe. However, controversy followed Viren in the 1976 Olympics, after winning the 10,000 metres final, he waved his Onisuka tiger shoes to the crowd during his victory lap. The International Olympic Committee accused him of malicious intent, but the Viren claimed he had a blister. Ultimately, he was allowed to compete in the 5,000 metres final after an appeal. 
Brin's excellence extended beyond the Olympics. He broke world records for both the two-mile and 5,000-metre events outside of the Olympic Games. His meticulous running style, hugging the inner edge of the track bends, saved him valuable metres compared to his rivals. This technique, known as bend mathematics, played a significant role in his success. Lassie Viren retired from competitive running after the 1980 Summer Olympics. Although he didn't reach the podium in the 10,000 metres, he continued to push the leading pack until the last 300 metres. Viren's running career was marked by injuries and setbacks, but his determination and resilience never wavered. After his retirement, Viren ventured into politics and served as a member of Finland's parliament from 1999 to 2007, and again from 2010 to 2011. He became a well-known figure in Finland and received numerous accolades for his athletic perform, athletic and political achievements. Now, as promised, we will delve into the world of kettlebells. Well, kettlebells have their roots in ancient Russia, where physical strength held great importance. The first recorded mention of the word gura, again another word I've completely butchered, meaning traditional Russian weight made of cast iron, dates back to a 1704 Russian dictionary. Originally used as a counterweight to measure goods in local markets, Russian farm workers discovered that these weights could be swung and pressed to showcase their strength. As the popularity of kettlebell training grew, contests began to emerge as a pastime in villages and towns during festivals, fairs and circuses. It wasn't until the 1913 that an article in a popular Hercules fitness magazine in Russia brought the attention to kettlebells as a powerful tool for weight loss. In 1948, Excuse me, kettlebell lifting became the national sport of the Soviet Union, with champions from 15 Soviet republics competing in the all-Soviet Union competition of strongmen. These athletes showcased their strength in the double kettlebell jerk and the single arm snatch. During the 1950s, Soviet Olympic weightlifters started using kettlebells to improve strength on the non-dominant side Additionally, kettlebell competitions were held, although without rules, standards or time limits. The winner was determined by the athlete who lifted the most repetitions regardless of time or technique. By the 1960s, the kettlebell lifting had made its way into schools and universities. In the 1970s, the sport became part of the United All-State Sport Association of the USSR. A commission was created to develop unified rules, classifications and a competition calendar. Athletes from 20 regions of the USSR participated in the kettlebell lifting. In 1981, the USSR government, or USSR government established the official kettlebell commission mandating kettlebell training for all workers as an effective way to enhance fitness and productivity. Four years later, in 1985, the sport of kettlebell lifting earned formal recognition with the creation of a committee. Kettlebell sport, known as Girovoy sport in Russia, became an official sport with regulated rules and regulations. In 
The first USSR National Cattle Bell Championship took place in Leipzig, Russia, marking a significant milestone in 1985. In 1988, a new competition event, the Long Cycle, was introduced at the first Cup of Gurevoy Sport. Another important development came in 1989 with the introduction of the 10-minute time limit, a rule that still remains in place to this day. The year 1993 saw the first ever world championship for the kettlebell sport, and in 1999, women competed for the first time. By 2001, women were participating in the snatch competition during the Russian national competition. Today, kettlebells are utilised worldwide in various athletic disciplines, martial arts and general fitness training, although exact statistics are unavailable. It is clear that the number of people using kettlebells in homes, gyms and sport clubs is steadily increasing. Several organisations promote, organise and host kettlebell sport competitions across the United States and internationally. The International Kettlebell and Fitness Federation, Orange Kettlebell Club, World Kettlebell Organisation, American Kettlebell Alliance International and the Kettlebell Sport World League, among others, play a vital role in advancing the sport. Kettlebell sport follows weight classes based on the international metric system, one kilogram equaling 2.2 pounds. Athletes within the same weight division compete against each other using the same weight kettlebell. Training for the kettlebell sport can be categorised into three main styles, competition, repeats and intervals. Competition style training focuses on completing as many repetitions as possible within a 10 minute set, adapting the speed to reach the desired goal. Repeats involve multiple sets of three to five minutes each with a higher pace than competition goal. Intervals are characterized by the fast paced sets of short duration with a one to one work to rest ratio. As we conclude our exploration of the history of kettlebells and kettlebell sport, we can appreciate the profound impact the Russian, the ancient Russian weight has had on physical fitness and strength training. From its humble origins as a simple market weight to its establishment as a recognised and regulated sport, kettlebells have become a staple in the fitness world wide. Well, now let's go on to see how the kettlebells can be a very useful tool for our training. So whether you're a seasoned runner or just starting out, incorporating the kettlebell exercises into your routine can have a significant impact on your strength, power and overall running performance. So let's dive right in. First of all, let's talk about why kettlebells are so beneficial for runners. Certified personal trainer Linda Lippin emphasises that kettlebells provide an excellent leg workout that also engages your core muscles, strengthens your quads, hamstrings and glutes, and can not only improve your performance but also protect, protect you from injuries. According to Paul Costas, a certified personal trainer and director of personal training, cycling strength-focused resistance training into your routine helps strengthen your muscles, tendons and ligaments surrounding the joints that take a beating from running. This injury prevention aspect is 
crucial for any serious runner. But it's not just not just injury prevention. Costas explains that the kettlebell exercises can also enhance your power and help you pick up your pace by complementing your endurance training with resistance. You, you're able to push off with more strength, strengthen your stride, and become a better and faster runner. Now that we have an understanding, let's talk about how to choose the right kettlebell weight. As a starting point, women can aim for weights between 18 to 26 pounds, while men can aim between weights between 35 to 44 pounds. However, these are just averages, and you should adjust based on your fitness level and comfort with the kettlebells. Now let's move on to some specific kettlebell exercises that target different muscle groups in your legs and we will provide links within the show notes to all these exercises. So we'll start with the quads. The goblet squat is you hold the kettlebell by the handle with the bell on top and hold it at chest height. Stand with your feet slightly wider than hip width apart and squat down. Keeping your spine straight and chest lifted, push through your feet to stand back up and then obviously repeat. Forward lunge, hold the kettlebell at chest height and take a big step forward with your right foot. Lower down into your left knee as is almost touching the floor with your right knee is bent at 90 degree angle. Press through your right heel to stand back up and repeat on the other leg. The lateral lunge is hold the kettlebell at chest height, take a wide step to the right, bending with your right knee, and then keep your left leg straight, and then push or push your right foot to stand back up and repeat with the left leg. The side step up, hold the kettlebell with your right hand down by your side, step onto a stair or platform with your right foot and driving through your right leg to stand up and bring your left knee towards your chest and then lower yourself back down and repeat and switch sides. Now let's move on to the kettlebell exercises that target your hamstrings and glutes. So there's the single leg Romanian deadlift. Stand with the kettlebell in your left hand, shift your weight to your right leg and hinge at the hips. Sending your butt back while keeping your back flat and core engaged. Lower until you feel a slight pull in your right hamstrings and then drive through your right foot to stand back up and then repeat and switch sides. The kettlebell swing. Stand with your feet slightly wider than hip width apart and kettlebell a few inches in front of your feet. Hinge at your hips and grab the kettlebell handle with both hands. Now swing the kettlebell up in front in front of your chest by thrusting your hips forward and squeezing your glutes, then repeat. The weighted bridge, which is you lie face down with your knees bent and your feet planted on the floor. Hold the kettlebell on top of your pelvis and press through your heels to lift your hips straight up and lower back down and repeat. Again, as I said, I'll include uh, links within the show notes. The deadlift is stand with your feet slightly wider than hip width apart and bend your knees slightly hinged at the hips and pick up the kettlebell by the handle with both hands and drive through your feet to stand back up 
and repeat. So to create a well-rounded lower body workout, you can choose any three quad exercises or any three hamstring and glute exercises and arrange them in a circuit. Perform 10 to 15 reps of each exercise in any circuit for three rounds. Remember, if any of these exercises feel uncomfortable or do cause pain, stop doing them and consult an expert. And finally, depending on your training schedule, aim to include a kettlebell leg leg workouts one to two days per week. If you're in season, or two to three days a week if you're if you're not. So that kind of wraps up our section on the uh, kettlebells. We do hope I really do hope that you found this information quite valuable and feel inspired to incorporate kettlebell workouts within your training. So but now moving on to floats. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Well, now, in one of my previous interviews with Tamsin Birdland, she talked about floats as part of her training. The float sessions, I thought, were amazing. Float. Yeah, so you basically, over the course of, I can't remember now, probably about 15, 20 minutes, you cycle between quite a hard pace and, and slightly sort of easier pace but not an easy pace so you're you're really you're never actually getting back down to recovery and I mean that when I saw that session I thought how am I (laughs) gonna do that but actually I really it's one of those type two fun isn't it once you've finished you think oh that was really good yeah well today I thought we might explore that type of training in some detail while many runners and coaches focus primarily on fast repetitions the recovery periods can actually have a significant impact on the effectiveness of the workout. According to the University of Houston cross-country coach Steve Magnus, manipulating the recovery portion can dictate how you feel during the actual running segment. By visualising the recovery as a float, a quality aerobic pace that is slower than the tempo but faster than a jog, runners can achieve a wider array of benefits. Top coaches from around the world have been employing this strategy for the years. Australian coach Pat Cloesi worked with former marathon world record holder Rob Deke de Castella using a workout called Deke's Quarters or Aussie Quarters. This involved an 8 times 400 metres with 200 metre float recoveries at a pace closer to de Castella's anaerobic threshold. Similarly, Australian marathon Stephen Monangetti co-developed a workout known as the Mona Fartlek, which was consisted of fast repetitions with equal duration float recoveries. By straddling this anaerobic threshold during the repetitions and staying just below during the floats, Monangetti pushed up his threshold and improved his, his race performance. Famed marathon coach Renato Canova also advocates for quick recoveries, prescribing a recovery segment of one mile at a slightly slower pace than the marathon pace during the workouts. This helps runners learn 
to better deal with the byproducts of fatigue. The benefits of these quick recovery intervals are manifold. They teach runners to clear lactate while running at a high anaerobic pace, which is crucial for 5K and 10K runners. Additionally, blending different paces together in a workout allows runners to target multiple capacities and improving overall race performance. Quick recovery segments also prevent runners from pushing too hard on the fast repetitions, reducing the risk of injury and allowing beginners to gradually build their capacity to work. It also helps runners develop the skill to recover and maintain a slightly slower than marathon pace during longer races, such as marathons and ultramarathons. Now that we understand the benefits, let's explore some sample workouts that incorporate quick recovery intervals. One example, as we said, was Aussie quarters, eight times 400 metres with a 200 metre float. Recovery aim to average near your anaerobic, thre- anaerobic threshold pace during the fast portion while maintaining a quality pace during the float recovery. Another popular workout is the Mona Fartlek which involves faster repetitions of different durations with the equal duration of float recoveries. This workout can also be easily adapted to fit your fitness level and can be performed anywhere. For longer workouts, try the half mile alternations, alternate a half mile on with a half mile float for a distance of 4 to 12 miles. So this is obviously for maybe if he was a more experienced runner. And as you get stronger, increase the total distance gradually and aim for the alternations to average out your goal race pace. You can also incorporate marathon pace repeats into your training. Run repeats of two or three miles at marathon pace with a one mile recoveries of 20 to 30 seconds per mile slower than your marathon pace and gradually increase the total number over a number of weeks. Remember these these workouts are just examples and you can get creative and design your own workouts using different distances, time intervals, landmarks or topographic features. They are key. The key is to shift your mindset to focus on running the recovery sections faster while emphasising the quality of the pace. By rethinking the recovery intervals in interval workouts, runners can achieve a wide range of benefits and improve their overall race performance. So the next time you're planning your interval workout, don't forget about recovery portion. Give it the attention it deserves and watch your running performance soar. And that's a wrap for another exhilarating episode of Brian's Run Pod. Thanks for tuning in, folks. As always, we've got your back with all things running. And next week, get ready for some awesome beginner hints and tips to kickstart your running journey. Oh, and before we sign off, exciting news. We're now available on YouTube. So whether you're pounding the pavement or chilling at home, you can catch us there too. Plus, we have a new feature on the podcast. You can now send me a message. Yep, you heard it right. Brian's Rompod has become interactive with the audience. If you look at the top of the episode description, tap on send us a text message. You can tell me what you think of the episode or alternatively what you would like covered. If you're lucky, I might even read them out on the podcast. Hey, if you want to keep up with the latest updates, behind the scenes fun and even some exclusive t- content, 
make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, or should I say X, at Brian's Rompod. We've also just launched a shiny new Facebook page. Simply search for Brian's Rompod and give us a like. And don't forget to hop on over to Instagram where you can catch all our visual adventures at Brian's Rompod. For those of you who love diving deep into the episodes, head over to our website, www.brianesrompod.co.uk. And there you'll find detailed show notes, handy chapter markers, make it too easy to navigate through our favourite discussions. Please leave a review as it will always help find others find this podcast. Music is by Happy Days by Stock Audio, not forgetting artwork by Alice Patterson. Till next week, thanks again for listening. 